Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. At some point along the way, I think a lot of us find ourselves asking, what makes the human condition? And what makes us human? Is it something in our ability to relate to each other and feel understood and heard? How can we feel understood and heard if we don't have a voice or if no one is listening? I read a piece by Grayson M. Brilmar around one and a half years into my disability from the UCLA Disability Studies reading list. It helped me to find words for something I felt but couldn't quite place or make sense of when I was thinking about the documentation and representation of disability I had come across so far. I carried the weight of this feeling, but it wasn't until I could name and see it that I was able to begin to not just carry it, but unpack and unload it. Brilmar writes, Much historical documentation of disability is produced by those in power. And the voices of those whose lives are affected by such representation are often missing from records. This is a quote from Community Identification and the Violence of Archival Representations of Disability. For a long time, I struggled to find honest stories reflecting the things I was feeling and that I could identify with as someone living in a neurodivergent body. This is when I came across Cripple Magazine an independent publication looking to take ownership for the representation of disability, written by, managed, and produced all by people within this large minority group. Cripple Magazine founder, Emily Flores, has been featured in the New York Times and Teen Vogue and so many other platforms, advocating for meaningful and accurate representation and inclusion for people with a disability. It was in finding and interacting with the space Cripple Magazine created that I started to feel less isolated. It is often feelings that drive us before we make sense of them. So for this episode of Divergent, I would like to invite you into the discussion Emily and I had. Since recording this episode, Cripple Magazine has changed its name to Cripple Media. This is to better reflect the multimedia nature of the project, as well as all the various contributors. So if you're looking for more or wanting to search more about the project, search under Cripple Media. What's your favorite meme of 2021? Okay, this is really like, like really weird, but um, I've been spending like a lot of time on TikTok. And there's, like, this TikTok that's been floating around, um, especially in Christmas, that was, like, this cookie with, like, weird, with, like, a weird gazed uh, expression. And (laughs) And he was, like, really weird looking, but it was a very, it was a very interesting cookie. Um, (laughs) But I thought it was really funny. So that, I think that's, that's my favorite. (laughs) Um. So my first kind of talking point is really to set the mood. Um, and 
it was a quote. I, I think I tagged you in this on Instagram. I don't know if you you're connected to the Cripple Instagram, the Cripple Magazine Instagram. Um, but it was the quote from Grayson M. Brillmeyer uh, from an essay, and it just says, "Much historical documentation of disability is produced by those in power." And the voices of those whose lives were affected by such representation are often missing from records. Um, and for me, that really struck a note as maybe not necessarily something I'd been thinking about, but something I'd been feeling around the time I first got involved with Cripple Magazine. Um, and I know that you started Cripple when you were 15 as someone with mus muscular dystrophy. Uh, did you kind of feel that before? I'm, I'm interested in whether cripple as a concept and exploring representations was kind of something that was thought or something that was felt first, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's actually, honestly, that's a really, really good question. I feel like this is like, like, I feel like it was definitely something that I definitely felt at first, but I probably... I, I guess I just like didn't realize it because uh, when I was little, um, I was I was like a really like I guess like a child with problems. <laughs> like, <laughs> what a way to kick this story off! Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> I was a child with problems. <laughs> no, but like I guess so. Basically, like I don't know. Like something that I really really struggled with a lot when I was younger was. Um, feeling, I guess, like feeling comfortable within myself and like feeling, yeah. um, I guess just feeling really, um, comfortable within the space that I was in. And, um, and that was really like confusing because, so the time that I'm talking about was when I was in elementary school, basically. And, okay. uh, yep. my mom would like always like push me to like go to like MDA events where like all other kids with like disabilities would be, um, yeah. And, yeah. like, I guess, like, those events, I mean, they were, I went to one, and they were really, really, like, cool and well-orchestrated, um, but after that, I never wanted to go to an event like that ever again, and I was, <laughs> and my mom was, like, so confused, she would be like, why, like, why, like, she was like, these events are, like, so cool, and I guess, like, any mom does, right, like, they want to push you to, like, uh, to these, like, super cool events, but, um, I just, I did not feel connected to them at all. Like yeah, I did exactly, not, yeah. I did not feel comfortable with the people that I was with. I did not feel like myself. I just felt so, so disconnected. And in that, in like that, um, age era, I just felt, um, really confused as to why I didn't go, but I just knew that I didn't want to go. Um, and That's so, so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess like that feeling was pretty much repeated. I mean, honestly up until like middle school probably like and I think this is like something that maybe a lot of disabled people can relate to but I mean I struggled a lot with like internalized ableism like yeah I mean, me too yeah yeah I mean like in in like uh, middle school um uh -huh. I would see like other like disabled students and I did not want to be like associated with them I did not want yeah. to like talk to them in public um like I had like a lot of fears and like a lot of um I just, I guess I was just, I was scared of, like, the able-bodied kids being like, oh, well, I mean, she's disabled too. And, like, you know, like, yeah. elementary thoughts like that. 
And so it was yeah. really like weird, like, like um, I guess feeling that and balancing all of that. Um, yeah. But I guess anyways, like where I was going with that was like, I mean, I, I felt like that for a lot of, for a long time when I was a lot younger. And I think what primarily causes that or what primarily, um, you know, enforces that idea is like having spaces that are meant to be for young, younger disabled children, but uh-huh. those spaces being like super, super, I mean, patronizing and, and like when they're run by able-bodied people, it's like really obvious because it's like uh-huh. they, it's just, it, the feeling doesn't feel authentic. It doesn't really feel like comfortable. And and I think I yeah, picked it's that like, up. Like an obligation more than a space that's it, made by people who want to engage. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's really like, I think it's really um, something that a lot of like kids pick up on and I don't think like that a lot of like adults realize that um and so I guess that was just something that I felt a lot while I was um in my youth and later um when I connected with like other teens with disabilities I realized that they felt the same way and I wasn't alone and um that was just kind of something that kick-started my um train of thinking into everything yeah I know that if people are listening that aren't in the community, they'll be like, what's up with that name? Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's a really good question because I feel like, um, so this, I mean, I feel like whenever, (laughs) whenever I meet new people and I'm like, and I describe like what I do or like what I'm studying or blah, 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 blah. Um, I'm like, yeah, like I have like a magazine, um, and they're like, oh, what's it called? And they're, <laughs> and I have to like, see, this is something that I'm still working on. Okay. <laughs> but I'm like, oh, it's called cripple. And they're like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And it's just like, it's really, uh, it's really, it's a whole, it's a whole like, um, story that I have to like, I have to explain to them, but, <laughs> but yeah. it's definitely something that. Um, that I thought was, so I guess this kind of like goes back like, um, you know, to when I was like first, to when I first found out about like the online disability community. Um, I, you know, like I said, like I, I lived a lot on like Twitter, um, but I also Mm. like lived a lot on Tumblr. (laughs) I know still in 2016 and I use Tumblr. Yes, unfortunately. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, I, I was like on Tumblr a little bit and, I noticed that like a lot online um people like disabled people would call themselves cripple and like would call themselves yeah. like um like cripple like punk cripple or whatever um yeah. and immediately when I saw it I thought that was like really really like powerful because yeah, I was powerful. like what a way to like reclaim something like reclaim a slur and like uh-huh you know, like reclaim it yourself so other people can't use it against you. And I just, I really, really liked like that aspect. And I really liked like the, um, the people like in the message that was behind in using it. And, um, and you know, it's, it was like the same kind of like impact. Like when I found out even too about like, um, the movement of like slut walk, you know, like these women that were like walking down streets and like calling themselves sluts. And uh-huh. I thought that was like so powerful too. And I think that when a group like kind of like chooses to reclaim um, slurs, I think that it becomes so much more powerful. And I think, 
it was just, when I first saw that, I was just like, wow, like this is, I mean, absolutely amazing. And I saw how strong like the community was because of like reclaiming that word. And um, and I just, yeah. I really, I ever since I saw it, I really, really liked it. Um, and so anyway, um, when I was kind of, I was, when I was kind of like brainstorming on what like this magazine could be, I was, I was picturing like something that, you know, that was obviously going to be um, honest and representative uh-huh. of what disability is and like what, um, what it's like to be young and disabled. Right. And like, yeah. and of course, like center, like um, young people, young people with disabilities in the mainstream media, but also like produce truthful and actually honest representation of disabled people. Because I think what was most frustrating to me when I was like, when, when I became a journalist and also like when I was a lot younger too, I mean, every like single thing that I saw about myself online or like Uh on TV or in like in books and movies, it was just like, so not true. And it was just so like, it was so frustrating because again, we go to like the same topic of like going to these charity events run by able-bodied people and you feel like so disconnected and you feel like, so um, just patronized against and like, not like that makes sense. Yeah. And just like not authentic. Um, And so, I mean, and so like whenever I saw movies like The Fault in Our Stars or like Me Before You, <laughs> like yeah. those movies or in books, like it was just so although actually I have to admit, I just I wanna admit that I was a really, really big fan of The Fault in Our Stars, but I was twelve. Okay. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um but anyway, like I guess like media representation of like disability, um and like um, young people with disabilities it was just so frustrating and like also seeing like videos on Facebook of like oh look at this um football team ask out this uh little girl in a wheelchair to prom like it would like yeah. stuff like that it was just so um honestly it was just gross and I really I really just I found it like horrible and so misrepresentative of who I was and who like the people that were like me like they were not like like they I mean, that pieces of media was not representative of us. Um, yeah. And so I knew that when I was going to create this, I wanted it to be as honest and as representative of disability and as like representative of what being young with a disability was like. And so when I yeah. was kind of like thinking about that and like kind of like thinking about like those like core values, um, I thought like, you know, like kind of, I thought like, what what it would mean to have something like named cripple because like when you when you like hear that you're like oh my god like who would ever like who would ever name something cripple like that's literally like the worst idea i've ever heard but like Uh you would i mean no other people would name something like that except disabled people and so yeah it's like and the reason like why um like, I guess, like, the reason why people, able-bodied people would think that is because they already have the wrong idea about disabled people in the first place. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think um, if if it's able-bodied people that are taken aback by the jarringness or the seeming kind of, uh, like, inappropriateness of that wor- word, 
then it's totally appropriate because they're the ones you want to kind of be hitting with the language because of the the kind of very uh, like clumsily used attempt a clumsy attempt at using language that is soft and maybe more comfortable for them to use when describing someone with a disability rather than the fact that they're not even thinking about that person's identity as just being another person on a spectrum of experiences. Um, so to, to kind of hit them over the head with a word just seems totally appropriate. Yes, yes. Oh my gosh, like you hit it on the nail. I mean, that's exactly right. And like, I feel like also like a really big thing that like able-bodied like tend to have difficulty with <laughs> is like, you know, they like, they're often like, oh, well, you're not disabled. You're differently abled. And like, that's like, oh, I, <laughs> I mean, that makes everyone cringe. I kind of get it like where they're coming from, but But yeah. it's just like, it's so like, definitely like when I first heard it, I was like, okay, like when I was like, I think I first heard it when I was like 13 or something. And when I first heard it, I was like, it seems like a good intention, but it, it turns out to be more patronizing than like not saying anything. Yeah, uh, you, I mean, how much more overtly can you subject someone to otherness than calling them differently as the prefix to the noun? Like <laughs> Exactly. Like you're the one that's thinking that disability is an uncomfortable thing. Like I never said it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know, but it's, don't they understand? I mean, I guess maybe they think, oh, differently abled, like I'm not so great at the guitar, I'm differently abled. And then you're like, well, that's like also a very patronizing and belittling way of understanding it. How about we look at like concrete things that make this an experience? Yes. Um, and Cripple is like, a, I mean, it does have a certain level of violence, I guess, as a word, but it seems appropriate to use that if that if it i mean you're you're demanding that someone listen immediately by using that word yeah exactly exactly and i think like i think um ultimately i think that's what i i guess like i really um i guess what i wanted to do because it's it's just something that like um you know it's it's obviously shocking right it's like oh my god like yeah. that's that's the worst thing ever but i think um, you know, when people are, you know, just told the blunt, like, truth <laughs> and, like, just, uh -huh. you know, told, like, the blunt um, reality of what things are, like, what, um, you know, what this message of disabled people is, like, I think, like, that is, like, probably, like, maybe the most effective way because I think um, I just because, like, I've seen so many organizations and so many um, different projects that, you know, of course, maybe um, they're run by able-bodied people or maybe they're, like, run by, dis yeah. maybe by some disabled people too. But I think, like, when you have, like, names that are just kind of, like, more palatable to an able-bodied audience, I think that may not be, you're probably telling a message that um, already reinforces, for, like, ideas yeah. about disability that able-bodied yeah. people already carry out, you know? Yeah, because it's already being filtered in a way that's more suitable to them. Exactly. And so I thought that, you know, like, I mean, the magazine to me up until that point, like, 
represented everything about like disrupting like um, archaic ideas or like disrupting like um, just um, perceptions that able-bodied people have. And so I thought like, you know, the name needs to really be like representative of what this magazine stands for and what this, what the core values are. And so I was like, you know, I mean, what a better way to um, name something that um, disabled people, you know, have already like reclaimed as part of their truth, you know, and introduce that to um, able-bodied people who don't know this. Exactly. And I think it's important to note that that's the name of the project, the magazine. It's not the identity of everyone who's writing for it. Right. Whether they choose to use that word or not, it's it's the, the it's the name of the publication to make the point that the publication is trying to make. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Um, and that that's not saying that's still leaving the space open for those people who participate in contributing to each identify with whatever what word they they particularly like absolutely or want or have or have to use or want to use yes absolutely because i think yeah that is also like a really big thing because i think like um also like like when you know displaying a movement then people already like automatically assume oh you identify as a cripple like wait yeah exactly that's yeah and you're like well no that's not the point no 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 no. like wait (laughs) yeah yeah, like that is like a really really like um like a good point is that like you know this is more like representative of like something that um the disability community has voiced out about and like has like um talked about and like has uh kind of Mm. like repainted something um and so um it's like kind of like more of a introduction to what um maybe what you didn't think disability was about you know i mean you've guys you've been featured in the new york times vogue uh affinity magazine like all these different things and i i'm curious as to uh like do you think that those, those more mainstream publications are, you know, like looking to give, like, again, amplify voices in the same way you are, or just kind of show attention of something slightly different that's happening or looking to be like tokenistically inclusive? Yeah, I think that's a really, really good question. I think that is something that um, publications that are, you know, intrinsically. Oh wait, that's not a word. Uh. No, intrinsically. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why I can't talk. Uh, anyway, um, yeah, like I think like publications that are fundamentally like able-bodied and like are run by able-bodied people, and especially, I mean, the biggest mainstream like outlets are all able-bodied run. Um, yeah. I think that they will always, as much as inclusive and like as much as um, like. Um, yeah, I guess like as much as inclusive you want to be, you will probably in some way be a little bit like ableist um, in some way or like not be inclusive enough. Um, right, okay. Yeah, and so I think that like I definitely really love, I definitely really like how like these um, mainstream media outlets are are trying to uh, cover and include 
um, disabled voices and like diverse disabled voices as well. But I don't think that they're doing enough. Um, I definitely don't think that there's enough like disabled reporters. I definitely don't think that there's enough like disabled um, content creators or disabled audio engineers or podcasters, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Mm. And so I think that's like a really, really big thing that like, you know, as much as you say, oh, you know, like we, we, we fight for disabled people, but if you're not hiring them, then like, what's the point of saying all that? Um, Yeah, that's so interesting. I was talking about this actually yesterday um, with a friend about, because I was thinking about why, you know, the story, stories, things that are featured in like Cripple Magazine or even things that we've spoken about with the title, um, why don't they, I mean, they do get a lot of attention, but why is it the, you know, the more palatable stories of overcoming adversity in terms of disability that do better? And I was like, well, it actually makes sense because there's more people who don't have a disability in positions of power or influence or um, that work within forms of whatever culture of representation that is um, over people who do have that experience. And therefore it wouldn't make financial sense to market to the minority, despite being the largest minority group, it's not gonna generate as much return and maybe it's too uncomfortable. And I was like, that's a really interesting point of contention because everyone who's looking to push, like progress with forms of representation that Cripple Magazine is doing, you want more the most people to, to be interacting with it, right? You want people to read the stories and engage with the content, but you also want to maintain the integrity of what you're trying to do. Absolutely. Does, does that often cross your mind? Yeah, I mean... Absolutely. First of all, like, I think, like, your point is, like, really, really, like, um, it's really powerful because, um, like, you know, as much as, like, a disabled or, sorry, as much as an able-bodied editor, right, let's say, like, um, like, at a really, like, big media outlet, as much as they Uh would want to push for, like, a super progressive piece about disability, they probably... Uh would not ultimately go with it or if they did they would get so much backlash that they wouldn't publish anything like that ever again and so yeah that's what yeah and so yeah it's like it's like as much as you want to be progressive with like an audience and like with um a staff like um just so monolithic like a being able-bodied like it's it becomes really really difficult to push those ideas and so that's why, like, to me, I think it's, like, the only like the only possible way to do it is to have a publication that is not able-bodied run because uh-huh. that way, like, you know, those ideas can um, get published. Yeah, yeah, and can get edited and can, uh, you know, fight through maybe um, unpalatable audiences that are not used to this type of content. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's definitely, like... I think it's definitely something that is not, you know, it's not right because it's like, why are like mainstream media outlets choosing to go down the path of least resistance? It's like, yeah, you know, that's what I feel. Yeah, it's like, you know, like, um, you know, there, especially with like political landscapes and everything, like so many things, so many different things are changing. And I think it is 
it is so like accurate that I do feel like a lot of the media outlets are are they are like covering issues and they are like uh, covering diverse issues, but it's not. You know, we go back to the same score. It's not enough. It's like not. You know, the reporter yeah. is probably a white cis able-bodied reporter, and it's probably uh. not like understanding or really like understanding the the depth of the story that they're reporting on, and thus like you know failing to do it justice. And so, um, yeah. And so, I think that's that's kind of what happens with maybe a lot of stories that um, that you know that happen in real life, but um, they don't have like the diverse reporters to cover it. Yeah, for sure. And I think the flip side of that is then you have, um, you know, the classic, uh, someone who actually does have a disability and it's my belief that they don't necessarily want to do this, but if they want to be successful in terms of like if a story they're trying to sell, it makes more sense to make it more relatable and pander to a larger audience of people that can relate to then like rather than this is the only benefit I can get so I can't get an affordable house and I can't get around I can't access my community they'd rather it's if we frame that as like the mental struggle over adversity then it's like oh well we can all relate to that we don't have to, it's not specific to that person's body um so it's easy more easily sellable but unfortunately as a consequence it belittles the subjects that are of the most importance to people who are thinking, well, I, I feel all right in myself, but I'm still having these problems. What's going on? Right, right. And I, yeah, so cripple, the, the, like you're describing, the integ- maintaining integrity will always give a place then for that person to turn who is having those questions. Yeah, absolutely. And I I think like I really, um, I really hope that like, um, you know, that it's like, I guess that like the, the magazine or like, you know, cripple continues to like, um, you know, be relatable to other disabled people and everything. Um, and like, I think that in, um, in every like media outlet and like in every, um, like, mainstream media outlet, I think that they always kind of, like, when they want to, like, cover, like, something, like, diverse, um, Uh they always kind of, like, um, get into a struggle or, like, a conflict of, like, um, you know, of audiences not um, receiving this, like, story well or, like, being confused. I mean, like, if you go to, like, the Facebook comments, there's probably, like, a whole slew of, like, Karens and, like, moms (laughs) that are, like, so confused by, like, the type of, like, story or, like, or, like, just plain out, like, don't agree with it. Um, and so I think, Mm. like, at the same time, like, I think, um, it is really important, like, to maintain, like, integrity like of like the staff and like maintain the integrity of like um the stories um like at cripple um because i think once like maybe like a story becomes like too too palatable or or too maybe even like unpalatable then i think like it becomes (laughs) it becomes difficult for like anyone to like really like digest it um that's a good point yeah the flip side of that if it becomes too like I don't know what the correct language to use is when describing this. Um, 
like someone, something that would be more appropriate, kind of like voice to a friend or like in a diary entry or something. Yes. It's just like pure anger. Um, yes. But without necessarily an insight or a solution um, yes. or an exploration that could have this, it's, it's pretty much the same thing. So you're kind of treading on this tightrope a little bit. Yeah, yes, exactly. Because I think that um, the unfortunate reality is that like, you know, ever since 2016, we've been kind of like in a super, super divisive, um, at least, you know, like in the US political climate, it's been so, so divisive. Like, and especially with yeah. like so much like, um, like online, like propaganda and like um, just so much of like that stuff online. Um, people have uh-huh. become like super, super divided. And like, there's, I mean, I truly believe that there is like a war on like, on um, journalism, because it's like, people do not believe in journalism anymore. Like people do not yeah. believe like reporters, they choose to believe like YouTubers instead, or like uh, posters on yeah. Reddit. <laughs> and so, um, yeah. and so I think that's like really, really like, um, that's really dangerous. And I mean, it is a definitely a threat to democracy. And so anyway, like where I was going with that was that um, I think that whenever, you know, a piece, let's say if it was like too, quote unquote, unpalatable, I think that, uh-huh. you know, um, if an able-bodied person were to come across Cripple, they're like, oh my gosh, like you said, you know, oh my gosh, like who would name a magazine um, like this? Yeah. And then like they like read the stories Um, But, like, they don't really, like, fully understand because maybe, like, the content is so, like, exclusive to disabled people that it's not, like, reachable. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that it's really, like, important to, like, you know, develop super honest stories, but also, like, um, develop, you know, maintain the, the, um, the ethics, or not the ethics, but maintain, like, the, um, the guidelines of like journalism of like truly developing each angle of the story and like truly like um explaining um the story and like explaining the stories of the sources and and everything like that um yeah and so i think i like, like that yeah yeah and so like i think that like that when it is you know really really good journalism that you know and it's run by like diverse people who you know, who uh, carry a story to justice, then that is, like, literally, like, the best thing you can do, you know? Yeah, I'd be interested to know, was there, was it a gradual build-up or was there a process of which you were like, okay, if this is my experience, I'm going to have to carve out my own space where I can not only express how I'm feeling but invite other people who were feeling similarly with a disability and I guess it was a drive to create a space for them too yeah absolutely so I guess like so I kind of was in like that like really unevolved immature phase <laughs> like up until yeah. like probably like seventh grade ish probably yeah I think everyone's guilty of that. <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> I feel like, and then I also went through like a Nirvana phase in sixth grade, which was weird. I would, I will <laughs> never revisit that phase of my life ever again. But, <laughs> but <laughs> I don't regret it, but it was really crazy. <laughs> That's a great way of describing the past. I don't regret it, but it was really cringy. <laughs> it, 
happens is true. It's just so, I'm like, oh my gosh. I just, I twitch. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, like, um, sixth and seventh grade were, of course, like, really, really uh, just embarrassing. But um, in eighth grade was when I felt like I, I um, was like becoming really, really comfortable within myself. And I started to be like yeah. less shy. And that was actually like when I started to like read more and I guess become more curious about myself and become more curious about um, like who I was and who I could be. Yeah. Um, yeah. The could be was still really terrifying though, because I, again, going back to the representation thing, I never really saw someone who was like me and I never thought that the people who were like me were actually like me. <laughs> right. No, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, um, I guess like that part was really, really um, like confusing and um, really, um, I don't know, I guess I just, I didn't imagine myself. I didn't imagine like what my future could be. And I think that was really, really scary because I mean, my friends yeah. knew what their futures could be, but I didn't. Um, I th yeah, I think that's so interesting in that a lot of other people, I guess, have a role model or concrete figures as a teenager to kind of drive, not necessarily towards, but at least give them a sense of direction if that's what they want to to be replicate in some way. Um, but when you don't have that, you have to f actually look to yourself and create your own. And that's kind of what people learn a lot later in life, I feel, is, you know, just copying isn't good. I need to be more introspective and start to create a life that I want. And do you think that's part of an experience that you were forced into a lot earlier. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. I think that, I think that in those um, moments, I think that I didn't really, like, I wasn't, I didn't really like think about it. I, I don't think I was, oh my gosh, can you hear the train? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <Yeah>. I don't know. <laughs> I live like, uh, I live like two feet away from a train and in 3 a.m. it gets, uh -huh. It gets wild. It gets... That oh, train, my God. That train is so annoying. Okay, thank God it left. Um, <laughs> yeah. But um, anyways, what I was saying was that um, I think when I was that age, I wasn't really, like, conscious of it. But in the moments yeah. where I was, like, most upset and, like, the moments where I, like, I remember so vividly a lot of moments um, at night where I would, like, cry to my mom. Like, my face uh -huh. would be so flushed and I would be, like, so frustrated, like just telling her about how I didn't feel like I just wasn't happy at school. I just, I wasn't happy like talking to like a 40 year old woman. I'm not knocking on 40 year old woman, by the way. <laughs> I, I totally feel like a 40 year old woman, <laughs> but, but, but I just, I didn't, I didn't feel happy about it. I didn't feel like I could, um, I always felt trapped at school and I yeah. really, really remember those moments vividly and, Anyway, like in those moments was when I felt the most isolated and the most frustrated of like, of feeling that, man, I really wish I could see what my future could look like because yeah, I just, I feel so alone and I feel like, I feel like I'm the only one that's going through this. Um, and those moments I, I felt it the most, but um, it, I guess like that pretty much continued honestly in my whole like, like uh, school career, but um, in eighth grade was when I felt like I began to feel most comfortable. And coincidentally, that year was also when I got um, a helper that 
I was super like respectful to my boundaries and we really right, seemed, that's huge. Yeah, we really seemed yeah. really well and it was it was a really like game changer for me and um yeah. and that year was, you know, when I also got like um a group of friends and like I started to feel like a lot more comfortable within myself and um and so that phase of my life started to slowly like become less loud. Um, but okay. it definitely still continued. I mean, it definitely still is a theme in my life, I feel like, but I guess like after that, it kind of like closed a little bit. Um, and then, um, in high school was when I started to feel a lot, a lot more comfortable within myself. Um, I still uh-huh. struggled a lot with like, um, helpers at school and everything. Um, but I started yeah. to really, I think freshman year, honestly, was when like, I really started to recognize and like take pride and like accept disability as my identity Um, Uh because that's when I started to like go online and like, oh, wait, I actually remember a specific uh, moment, actually. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, so, like, I remember um, in my freshman year of English class, we were actually, like, we were assigned to do, like, um, um, like an essay about something that, like, <laughs> this sounds, like, so, like, cliche, but we were assigned yes. to do an essay about um, what, basically, like, what, um, what do we think is the human condition? Like, what... Oh, that's a good question. Yeah, it was like a really, now that I think about it, it was a really hefty prompt. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how like 14-year-olds juggle that. Um, yeah. But but yeah, and so I, I didn't know how to juggle it. Um, but I, I guess I just started to like uh, research on disability on the internet. And right. I remember I literally, um, I found Jillian Mercado. Uh, she's... I don't know if you know her. She's uh, she was the first ever model with a disability uh, to be signed with a worldwide agency, a modeling agency. Um, oh no, I don't know her. Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think she was signed with IMG, but I don't think she's signed with them anymore. Um, but uh-huh. she she did like really really cool campaigns, and she was a model with muscular dystrophy. And right. uh, when I found her, I was like, oh my, like holy shit, like this is huge. And then like. I started, like, to do more research, and then, like, I got, like, on social media and, like, just did more um, digging, and then I found, like, an online disability community, and okay, yeah. I was just, first of all, I was, I f- remember feeling really, really shocked, like, feeling like, wow, like, I can't believe I found this, and I've never, like, I wasn't in this earlier, like, it was just yeah. like I felt like I was I was filling a void that I'd had all my life and I was finally uh-huh. um filling it and it was just so it was really really um just so nice and really relieving and I would not I did not make any friends yet <laughs> but just simply yeah. like reading like tweets of people who looked like me and were like relating the same experiences that I had and like 
uh, we're talking yeah. about the same topics that I was going through at that same moment was just like so game changer. And it was just yeah. like, so, um, yeah. it was definitely really, really um, just nice to feel. And so um, anyway, I guess like in that, um, in freshman year was when I started to like really just um, be glued to Twitter all the time. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like in love with Twitter because that's where like, <laughs> I guess like that's where like I would like follow like um, the huge like disability activists and like all of like the people on there. Uh -huh. um, and so I would just stay there all the time. Um, I would I mean, I would mostly be on the Internet anyway, but I just felt really, really connected. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I guess like that was really like the moment and like the um, I guess like the moment that I knew that like I felt I knew that I wasn't alone and that yeah that sounds kind of cheesy but <laughs> no but it's it I don't think um, people I don't think it's necessarily said enough that actually being excluded if it's through the experience of a minority group or whatever it is is a form of kind of like perpetuated trauma as an experience so to connect is a very much not necessarily a solution to that trauma but at least something that will help you at least start to understand it and find a place totally oh my god yeah that's literally yeah. that's so true i mean i can't i can't yeah that is really true <laughs> yeah oh i want to know your answer to the question so what was the um what what was the thing the human condition oh um, yeah <laughs> from that from that experience what was the answer to the question so i don't think i actually did not do a really good job on this essay <laughs> 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 silently dodges the question no i'm just kidding <laughs> but um but so i ended up doing like the essay on like fashion and disability and i ended up like saying that like different like different experiences is what makes the human condition um but uh, i guess it was like yeah i mostly did like an essay about like um the underrepresentation of people with disabilities in the fashion industry and like clothing specifically um but but yeah it, it was like a more of like um like um i guess more about like the underrepresentation of uh, clothes, of accessible clothing that disabled people okay. have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, so kind of, uh, I guess, clothes is a place of belonging for a body that isn't fixed. Totally. That's Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, totally. That's a good answer, I think. <laughs> you think so? I don't know. I, yeah. I didn't do too well, but... <laughs> um, but I guess I just, I thought of that because, um, clothes were also like a pretty big, um, facet of my life that I didn't really realize that it was, um, mm. because when I was like a lot younger, I like, I would like, you know, up until like, of course, everyone's mom dresses their child, <laughs> like when they yeah, go to elementary yeah. school. Um, but like when I started to like dress myself, like in fifth grade, I was like, Ooh, I, I'm going to try some new clothes. Um, but I really only ended up like, like, uh, dressing myself in like sweatpants or like loose stuff and like, yeah, cause it's easy. It's, it's easy. easy and it's so comfortable yeah. because like every time I tried jeans, like I would literally like be in pain <laughs> for like eight hours. 
I definitely did not want to um, wear, like, sweatpants and sweatshirts. But, I mean, it was, like, the most comfortable thing. And, like, I definitely did not want to, like, wear jeans. Oh, my gosh, and much less shorts. (laughs) (laughs) Shorts. But, but yeah, like, I just, I really, really hated it. And I guess I just, I didn't really realize how much I, like, kind of, um, for lack of a better word, I guess, like, a longed for like dressing to um how I really felt and how who I really like wanted to be and like I guess Yeah, like, I think it's really important. Yeah. I don't think, and like yeah. I guess I just I didn't feel like um I had the opportunity to like play with those things and like um and um just try to figure out who I was. Did you have to do the thing where if you wore pants with pockets on the back cuz you're in your um, chair, you have to chop off the pockets. They used to always make me do that so I didn't get pressure, you know, from the stitching. Oh, oh, yes, 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 yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I actually, I never, I never had tried that, um, but, um, yeah. <laughs> but I had heard about it. I remember just encountering that and being, because I was obviously just acquired my disability and I was like, oh my God, I need to really start learning more (laughs) because I haven't thought about this at all and I don't think if people don't hear stories like the one you're describing they wouldn't think about fashion as even being something that needs to be accessible you know how how, like what at what point is that how do you ever see anything um except for the experience of it that would be about clothing even being marketed as something that's accessible that isn't like a medical device supplier that gives you... Oh, my God. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's that's a really, really good question. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, but also, like, talking about, like, the medical part, that was also, like, a really, um, like, a big thing about, like, my feelings toward um, clothing is because, like, I felt like... I felt like... And this also kind of goes to, like, representation as well, but... I felt like Mm. every time, like, I looked up images of, like, disabled people clothing or, like, disabled people fashion or, like, something, like, like that, um, Uh it would always, like, go back to, um, like, (laughs) like, old people and, like, um, you know, walkers or whatever and, you know, or, like, um, just people with, like, medical devices and, like, and, you know, for options of, like, accessible clothing, there's really no other options except, like, um, you know, medical um, yeah. stuff that are sold by, you know, yeah. medical stores. And so um, yeah. that, I guess like that was like a really, really big thing that like kind of like alienated me um, from like my relationship with fashion was that like I, I just didn't really feel like I could like, um, you know, dress comfortable, comfortably and dress accessibly. Um, yeah. Um, and so that's why, like, I would always wear, like, sweatpants or, like, <laughs> or leggings. I still wear leggings, though. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, I think, yeah. But I think as you go on in time, you, like, prioritize, okay, this is the time when I want to, like, dress. But as if that's just a normal thing. I think everyone does anyway. Not that I guess it's normal, but you know what I mean, for comfort. Or, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. I mean, yeah, that's honestly so true. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I just, I did, I never really, like, um, I guess, like, feel like I could, um, and actually, this is also, like, kind of a weird thing, too, I guess, um, like, when I was in elementary school, I had, like, a tomboy face, <laughs> and, yeah. uh, I just, 
I guess because I felt like I couldn't like um, dress and like uh, clothing that I wanted, um, I felt like disconnected from like being um, from being feminine and like disconnected uh-huh. from femininity. Um, and so that was like really also like really confusing and just, um, uh, but I mean, yeah, I mean, I think like later, um, this also was like really weird. Um, like when I, I had a scoliosis surgery, um, that was probably like uh-huh. the biggest surgery I ever had. And I had that in fifth grade, I think. Yeah. In fifth grade. And, um, okay. after that was like, it also kind of like changed the game for me because my confidence grew and like, I could also wear more clothes for me now. Yeah, it's massive. It seems, I think it, it seems, uh, I guess to people who haven't had that experience, they would think, oh, well, that's not one of the priorities in, in term, but it's a huge part of your identity and kind of what you were talking about before about finding a space. And I, I only have a trivial story that slightly touches on that experience in that my foot has spasticity from my spinal cord injury. So my toes all clawed up. Um, so and like at the time of my injury, I just used to be a skater. Basically. I used to skate all the time. So I just had all skate shoes. I didn't have any other shoes. And then when I was in the uh, rehab, they were like, hey, listen, you need to wear these uh, like boot, like these boots that were bigger, like had a higher... Uh, raised toe cap bit on them. And I was, I just remember, I remember thinking to myself like, look, it shouldn't matter to me, but why does it, why does it? Because I, I, you know, before my, I would have thought, oh, you know, it's just image, it's not important. Um, but when I was there and in that space, it did matter to me. And I, it was this weird kind of thing of like, is, is this like a, a small trivial or could be perceived as trivial example of a switch in my identity with my new body and like what I have to do to accommodate that and like how I'm going to express who I am through that? Absolutely. Oh, my God. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, that is also like another big thing um, that like I feel like the smallest moments like of like, wow, like in the moment it's like, oh, this feels like really trivial, like you said, or like really yeah. like small. <laughs> but yeah. um, it like ultimately like kind of like ends up like being a really big thing or like taking part of like a really big thing and shaping your identity. Um, yeah. And so that's so true. I mean, I really relate to that because I kind of felt the same way like when, um, you know, before the surgery, I wasn't um, really like nervous about it. Um, that's uh-huh. also probably something though that like I probably did to like, not really like confront my emotions, <laughs> but yeah, I think um, we all do that. Yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> um, but um, but yeah, I I wasn't really like nervous, and then after I di- I didn't really like um, I didn't really foresee like the changes that I would like as far as like confidence wise, what would happen after the surgery. Yeah. So that was like really yeah. um, really like. Um, uh, big for me um but um but yeah I mean it it totally changed the way of like how I approached clothes and it totally changed the way that um and how I could buy clothes um and yeah, it, and thanks. definitely like being a wheelchair user you know it definitely like there's still a lot of problems um wearing clothes today and buying clothes um but um mm. I would say that like 
definitely, like, the way that, like, the fashion industry is now, it's definitely, like, very uninclusive to, um, to, like, disabled bodies and disabled people. And, like, yeah. it's, it's definitely, like, just having, like, a magnetic, like, closure is not enough. Yeah, they're the ones I've seen, yeah. I mean, I don't know heaps about that world, but that's the ones I've seen people talking about, the ones with the magnetic bits. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say that's probably my experience with the small the, the small example with the shoes. Um, and what, so see when what we're talking about and the, these lack of spaces um, or lack of resources or lack of thought in terms of accommodating different bodies, was that, particularly in fashion, was that at the time when you got the idea for Cripple or had Cripple already kicked off by that point? Yeah, so so that's a good question. So um, in freshman year was like when I started to like be more like introspective. I started to like, um, you know, uh, be like, I was becoming aware of like a whole online disability community and I was like so amazed. Yeah. Um, and so at that point, I actually, that was when I started um, writing um, online. I started, um, I got my first job ever, which was like so um, exciting and surreal. And uh -huh. I, was, I was super excited to talk about disability and talk about like um, the problems that I was facing. Um, yeah. And so um, having that job kind of enabled me because I, I was forced to like, you know, look for sources. And I was like, oh my God, I hate interviewing people. Like I, <laughs> when uh, like I was told to do that, I was like, no, please. I will literally, I'd rather put my head in a bucket of water than like do this. <laughs> like, <laughs> like it was just so painful. But, yeah. but I later realized that it was so like valuable to, um, to not only like my professional life, but also like, um, to my personal life because that is how I kind of like I was kind of pushed to meet people um, in the mm. online disability community and meet people who were just like me and meet people who could represent what my future could look like um, and so um, when I was like doing articles and like doing like investigative stuff I had the yeah. like honor to talk to like so many cool um, people um, that had disabilities that you know we would talk about like Issues like um, the first article that I ever wrote was about the uh -huh. underrepresentation of um, disabled teen girls in pop culture. And uh -huh. um, one of the angles that we explored in the story was about like the the hurdles that actresses with disabilities face in Hollywood or in pop culture. Yeah, I, we touched on that in episode one. Um, Emily, did you have you listened to it? I actually, I haven't, but I need to. I need That's to. okay. Emily <laughs> Emily said about, um, they said about uh, like artist residencies and model, like photo shoots and things being available. But if you're a wheelchair user, you can't even get in the place to do your hair and makeup and, and whatever else it is you need to do. There's no thought behind, okay, like let's incentivize this as something inclusive, but let's not make it inclusive. Totally. Yes. Oh my yeah. gosh. Totally. And yeah, I mean, that was like a really, really big thing. And like, um, talking about like, just having like the opportunity of like talking about like those issues with, um, uh, you know, like some of them were obviously like older than me. I was like 14 and they were like 20 or 19. Um, but yeah. it was still like so rewarding. Like 
having the opportunity to talk to um, these like people and like that's amazing. So you were fourteen interviewing people. Yeah, yeah. I was very, I was very nervous and I was very scared, but yeah. um, but it was just so. It was really, really like so nice and like so rewarding, and um, and I, that was what ultimately like what made me uh, meet people and like made me, um, I guess, start to um, really like talk to other people like me. And it was just so, it was really, really like an invaluable experience. Um, yeah. And so anyway, so what I was going with that was like, um, and so I started to become a journalist um, and I started to like meet people and everything in the online disability yeah. community. And um, when I started to like, especially connect with like teens with disabilities, um, that uh -huh. was like really, really big. I mean, that was like, I felt like, um, I felt like that was what I was missing, you know, and that's right. like that I was missing that like my whole entire life. Um, and so, okay. yeah. and so I guess like the culmination of like feeling that there definitely should be like more disabled storytellers and more disabled reporters and more disabled creatives in general. And, and also feeling the feeling of like, um, of, um, you know, feeling like home when I was in the online disability community were so intense. And I knew that I wanted to like create like something for um, like disabled people, but I didn't know what. Um, and so um, I kept thinking about it and I didn't really like ultimately come to the idea of like forming like a, a magazine or like anything like that until uh -huh. I think it was like soft, my sophomore year of high school. Um, right. And so, and so, yeah, it was, it was definitely like the combination of like those feelings of like feeling at home online and like, um, and having the ability to connect with those people and seeing the lack of representation um, in newsrooms or in like, um, just creative spaces was really like, yeah, um, just frustrating. And so I thought, like, hey, like, I think it would be, you know, what better way to like spread representation than like doing it with a group of people rather than like, cause I mean like one reporter is, I mean, obviously like, you know, a reporter can like tell good stories, but I mean, a group is definitely way outnumbering one single person. Yeah. And a single person's voice, you can't speak for the, one of the largest minority groups in the world, which is on this like infinite spectrum. Totally. Oh my God. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and that I kind of champion Cripple uh, for that in that you have such a diverse range of not not necessarily uh, physical or mental experiences in terms of like a disability, but age range, uh, gender, um, race, the whole a whole huge spectrum where it's really just pub. Like a publication, well, in, this is my understanding where you're thinking, okay, how can we just give representation to voices that would otherwise probably not be heard? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, what I, I guess, like what we really like want to, like what we really like strive for is like, um, like another big thing that I, and a lot of people I think notice is that um, people tend to have the ideas that when they think of disabled people, they probably uh -huh. like think of like a monolithic idea <laughs> of like yeah. a person, which is like white, cis, and, um, yeah. you know, privileged. And so um, I think that, yeah, no, yeah. and so like, I think that when I was encountering like the online disability community, 
I mean, it was just like, I was learning from like so many like huge, amazing, like diverse activists. And I think that able-bodied people and like, you know, of course, like the able-bodied gays in society, like perceives disabled people as not like being diverse or like not being, not being capable of like holding more than one or two identities. And so, um, yeah, str- yeah. and so yeah. I thought that's also a really important thing to do. And like also a really important, like a uh, thing for a newsroom to have, especially. Yeah. Because I guess then not only are you giving people a chance to, and trying to amplify their voices, but as a publication or what um, a project in itself, it is like a whole uh, variety of these points on a spectrum um, that as something in itself, you just look at it for two seconds and scroll through what stories are there. I would hope that you would realize that very quickly and be like, oh, this is a magazine about disability, but it's about all these different things. What does that mean about disability, you know? Yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. And and like you said, like, I think also a lot of people don't realize that this is literally like, dis- disability is literally like the largest minority group in the world. Like, I know, of yeah. course, it's going to be like literally so diverse. And like, um, I think that's a lot of, that's one thing that like um, able-bodied people um, maybe like don't, you know, they definitely do not pass the mic or they definitely uh, silence um um, disabled people on. Yeah, because I think it's the largest minority group, but one of the most underrepresented, which is just so strange. <laughs> yeah. Um, in that regard, was the see when you were starting, and even now, actually, I'd be interested to know. Uh, what were there any like a lot of these ideas we've spoken about and experiences are obviously personal and came from you interacting with people firsthand, but was there anyone really putting together projects like other publications, like independent kind of uh, uh, underground publications being like, hey, look, this is what's going on um, or this is how people feel in this community? Yeah, so like, that's a really good question. So um, when I was was, um, writing um, in high school, I remember that I came across... Um, a ton of different, there were, at the time, there were a lot of, I guess, I guess it also has to do with, like, maybe the political atmosphere, but at the time, there were a lot of, like, um, teen-run independent zines that were flourishing. Um, Yeah, yeah. There were a lot of, like, um, um, teen-run and, like, zines for teens that were, that were popping up. Um, And I remember, I remember, like, and this was probably at the time, this was probably, this was not like a new sign because the sign has been around for like, this is probably like the veteran sign. But I remember, yeah. <laughs> I remember coming across a rookie magazine. Do you, do you know rookie magazine? No, I don't. No. So, so rookie magazine was the first ever, um, was the first ever, um, teen run magazine. And it was for, it was for teens. And it, Rookie was, like, it was so, so big. And I think it was started in, like, 2013 or 2014, I think. Um, right. And it was really, like, honestly, like, the first ever, like, online publication um, that was, I mean, it was, it literally, like, it exploded. It was really, really famous. 
Um, yeah, because that's quite early for that kind of thing. Yeah, and it was, yeah, especially, like, in that time era, it was really, really, like, um, it was not really, like, common for people to just make magazines or people to just make zines or publications like that, um, mm. and much less for, like, teenagers. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, like, and, and online as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. it was it was super unheard of. Um, and so I just remember, like, coming across that, too. And I just remember, like, feeling so inspired and, like, wow, like, I didn't know that, like, that would be, like, possible. And I didn't know that, like, that would be... Um, I just, like, it was just so... The publication was just, like, so influential and so powerful and so... Um, just, like, their voices were so moving. And um, yeah. the creativity was, like... Wow. I mean, it was just so inspiring. And um, and so, yeah, I mean, I just remember, like, feeling really, really inspired about, like, zines like that and, like, um, and just feeling excited about, like, um, about the different things that so many young disabled people like me could do. Um, uh-huh. And, like, um, and, yeah, just, I guess, feel excited about, about creating, like, content, about different kinds of content, like, not only, like, um, journalism, but like also like um, you know illustrations or like print designs yeah. or different stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, and it seems appropriate if you're going to have a publication that's reflective of a spectrum to have all the representations as a spectrum too. Um, but the thing as well that I think is, I, I first of all I want to know more about it anyway. But I think it's really important to mention was. Like, okay, you have the idea, like, so you see, see, have these experiences, see, maybe have interactions with other things that are influential. Lots of people have ideas, but you at especially such a young age then went on to make that idea into something which has to contend with this idea of accessibility or not idea, experience of accessibility. So, um, like if I sat down by myself and tried to start to pick that out, I don't know how I would start to do that. And, you know, to develop these platforms that you use, like to keep everyone connected and for people to submit to different editors and to accommodate people's ability to attend an appointment at that this end of the world and that end of the world, because you have people from all over the world contributing. Like how did that... Actual, that's, I'm really interested in how you thought about that in a pragmatic way. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really good question. I mean, I think, I mean, at first I was, I was like really, really like, um, excited, like about the idea when I first started thinking about it. But, um, like, I guess like I, in the past too, like with like previous like hobbies or like projects, um, that I've like picked up. Um, I would like, I would think about them and I would like, uh, plan it out and then I would get yeah. like really, really scared. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so I think that that was um, one thing that actually like that happened to me, um, a lot was like when I was kind of like planning this out, um, and like just getting, um, and just like thinking about this more, I, like, I was obviously like really excited and like really like inspired about everything, but I was also, yeah. like, really, really, like, scared about, um, like, a lot of things. Like, what if, like, you know, this just, like, goes haywire? <laughs> or, like, what if, yeah. like, what if this just doesn't, like, launch at all? Or, like, what if I'm not good enough? And, like, I guess, like, there was just, like, so many things that I felt, like, really, really nervous about. 
Um, uh-huh. But I don't know. I guess I just, I felt, um, I just, I felt like I really wanted and like needed to do something um, for like, um, for other teens like me. And I, and it just like the feeling of like feeling so connected with people and like feeling so uh-huh. um, represented was something that I, I kind of like wanted to extend um, for other kids and like for other uh, maybe younger people. Um, and so I guess that's that's like kind of like what ultimately like um, drove me to like continue on with it. I was definitely, I was still like really, really like stressed out about it and like really like nervous. Um, but yeah, it was just something that like, I guess like I, I like I logistically, I, I planned out and um, and I was just like really like excited about it. Um, but, um, and also, <laughs> and also this is going to sound weird, but <laughs> maybe it was also, I guess like, um, prior to that too, though, um, uh-huh. I didn't really have like, I mean, of course, like I talked to like a lot of, um, I talked to like a lot of like sources and like, I heard like a lot of amazing stories. Um, but I still, yeah. I didn't really like have like friends that were like disabled. Um, and yeah. so I think in some way, like me creating that was also like me wanting to have like, um, like a community and like, I guess like me, yeah. um, wanting to like foster that for like other people. Um, and so, yeah. and so, yeah, I don't know. And, and, um, also just like seeing like, you know, with the power of like the internet, I mean, almost like anything's really like um luckily like um available and like accessible to use and so um I just thought like the more like diverse writers from like like different parts of the world like not only because I feel like so many um zines and like publications are so like American central (laughs) yeah yeah. and like so like um um just I don't know I think it like focuses a lot on like one specific part um so I don't know I guess I just wanted to like make it really open to like everyone and like have just as much as young people um as possible and um I think I I opened this in the summer was it yeah I think it was the summer um and so Uh luckily I had like a lot of more time in my hands um and so um I guess I just kind of I think sometimes I I tend to I realize that I tend to like just jump off a cliff without <laughs> without kind of like <laughs> without like kind of um double taking which is really really bad but um I guess you're forced then into figuring it out as you go. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely. And I think when I first started I I don't know, I think like definitely the cool thing about it is like kind of like we're all like learning together and we're all kind of like figuring it out as we go and like um Uh and um and I don't know I think just like the nice thing about it was like forming relationships along the way and like I mean the closest friends that I have are literally like from this from Cripple and so it's just like yeah it's so um it's just so like awesome and like like just I don't know it, it really feels like home you know yeah yeah I was uh I I thought when I first I was exposed to Cripple and kind of the organizational process behind, you know, getting each person to submit their work and organizing that. I was like, it does kind of make sense for this to be so well organized because it's 
a group of people who are forced in many ways to be organized um, in their everyday lives. Like you can't just, if you're, you use, you, if you use a wheelchair as a mobility aid, you can't just leave the house sponta- spontaneously um, because you might not have a curb cut or you might not be able to get in the building that you want to go to. Right, right. Yeah. Oh my God, that's literally, wow, that's literally like so true. Huh. I yeah. might, I mean, you know what? I might mention this to my therapist because this is a really influential thing. Like, because <laughs> <laughs> no, that's literally so true because I feel like as disabled people, like, we never have like the privilege of having that or privacy or um, just like having the privilege of being like, okay, I'm going to do this today or I'm going to do this other thing today. And that is really, really true. I think like a lot of our lives revolve around like planning and like uh, managing and like um, even like directing, you know, if if you have like AIDS or whatever. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, I think that's like such a, such a big thing. And I, and I think um, that is one thing that like, um, <laughs> well, that is one thing that like, I guess I didn't realize that like m- my life is revolved around um, because yeah. like, um, so I graduated high school, like I think, uh-huh. wait, what year is it? <laughs> now, now two years ago. 2021. <laughs> oh my God. It's finally 2021. Oh, jeez. <laughs> But, but yeah, so I, so now that it's 2021, I think, yeah, so I graduated uh, high school about a year ago, or I guess I I can say two years. Yeah, I'll just say two years ago. Um, And so, um, and so anyways, when I graduated high school, um, that phase for me was really, really like, um, just really difficult for me. Um, because uh-huh. afterwards, um, I, you know, I got accepted to college, everything. And I was like, so, so excited. And I was just like, I was like, oh my gosh, like, um, after high school, like, I'm going to be like this totally new person. And I'm going to be like this totally, have this totally new life. And like, because yeah. most of like my high school career, I was just so <laughs> unhappy and, yeah. um, just so like, I just really, really, I was not, I did not like high school and, um, it was just, it was not a good, um, yeah, it was just not really fulfilling for me. Um, just like I had a, like a lot of problems, like with speaking up for myself and just uh-huh. like a lot of things like that. Um, and so when I graduated high school, I was like, oh my gosh, like this is going to be so good. Like I'm going to like have a new life, blah, 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 blah. Um, but then after like high school, I decided to like immediately like become independent and like move into um, an apartment. And yeah, that's huge. That was like, <laughs> I literally that I did jump off a cliff and I did land on my face because <laughs> that, <laughs> that was like, that was, I mean, it definitely was not a, definitely was not by no means a bad experience, but it definitely made me grow a lot. And it definitely like, I mean, um, definitely like I was totally naive into thinking that graduating high school was going to like solve all my problems for me (laughs) because what ended up happening was like my problems just like carried into um college like I I still have like I when I first like moved out I realized that I knew absolutely nothing about my disability my disabled identity um yeah and like it was just really really confusing and just like so frustrating because I really struggled in like learning on how to like um, be with um, helpers throughout the day and how to like 
uh, speak up for myself with them and like yeah. how to establish boundaries. And those were like really, really difficult when, you know, in high school I was, you know, with my mom and like I was just an autopilot with my mom. <laughs> and so yeah. it was just, it was really difficult, but I definitely did not, I would not change that experience because I learned and grew so much and I learned so much about myself and so much about like my identity as a disabled um, woman. And it was like really, um, just really um, fulfilling, definitely, yeah. You, you just have to find your way. Litmus Media.